There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Previously on Target USA, Russian spies take advantage of the chaos in the U.S. The FBI started disseminating a special warning to Orthodox uh, Orthodox communities in the United States. Andrei Soldatov, a Russian investigative journalist on Crossroads of a Crisis, Part 2. Coming up in this episode. Crossroads of a Crisis, Part 3. A look at the chaos in Israel and Gaza. The Israeli Defense Forces say they, for weeks, have been urging people in many different ways to move. Uh, One is we dropped more than a million and a half flyers to civilians in the northern part of the Strip, instructing them to move. This is Major Libby Weiss. We've made more and sent more than uh, five million phone calls and text messages instructing people to move. And she says they haven't stopped there. We've made 20,000 personal phone calls to civilians telling them to move. And there's evidence people are moving. And we've seen we've seen people move at this stage more than 900,000. But even in the South, there's danger there as well. That's coming up in this episode of Target USA. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The war between Israel and Hamas. Developments in this conflict are happening very rapidly. This is the conversation I had with Major Libby Weiss last week, a spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces. This was after our most recent episode had posted. And then after that, on this episode, some analysis with my colleagues, Sean Anderson and Ann Kramer, news anchors here at WTOP. Major, thank you for taking time to talk with us. Um, One of the things that you've been doing and you've been talking about doing this from the beginning was to getting after these tunnels that Hamas has and exploring these tunnels. How are you able to do that in a safe way? Because we know from previous experience, quite often these these tunnels are booby-trapped. And I've seen some reporting, actually some images from your organization about you know, the exploration of these tunnels. Can you talk us through how you're doing that? Well, we rely on uh, a lot of different elements. Uh, We're talking intelligence, operational information, and and really other uh, other components that, that put together a clear picture for our troops on the ground. And we have quite a bit of experience in dealing with these tunnels. This isn't something new that uh, Hamas has adopted. We have been uh, dealing with them since 2014. Uh, and it's a, it's really a, a combined element of using different forces, different tools that we have at our disposal. And we've already been quite successful. We've uh, destroyed hundreds of tunnels 
that uh, that Hamas has been using. And, you know, there's certainly a complexity when it comes to tunnel warfare. And there's no question that Hamas is using tunnels because of the complexity, because they know that they're able to hide under the civilians in the Gaza Strip and hide underground. Uh, but we are going to continue finding them and finding them within the tunnels and destroying these tunnels as well. And speaking of the, the tunnels and where they go, where they lead, um, you know, I was, I was speaking with um, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Amnon Schefter a couple of days ago about these tunnels and, and, and Lieutenant Colonel Conricus as well, even earlier, uh, about yeah. where you find them. You're going after them where you can find them. The Al-Shiva Hospital, um, we've seen a lot of information and, and a lot of images about what they left behind in that hospital. Um, give us a sense of why you think they left so much behind there. AK-47s, RPGs, grenades, uniforms, laptops. Were they on the run quickly there? Well, I think what we found, which in my view is really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what there is to, to find in Shifa, I think just gives a, a picture of the degree to which Hamas was using Shifa as a uh, as a, as a node as a center for their activity, uh, and we know we've been speaking about Shifa now for several weeks, so uh, it has given to a degree it's given Hamas a, a head start to to move assets and to uh, to move away from that area. Uh, but I think what we found just indicates the degree to which they've been using Shifa uh, and historically how much the use of hospitals is part of their mo. There's Shifa where we found a, a tunnel and the complex there, the Rantizi Hospital, uh, where we also found a tunnel complex. And this is really just par for the course when it comes to Hamas and their use of civilian locations. Hostages. You know, we heard the bodies, the bodies of two hostages have now been returned to Israel, uh, including, I think, one of your military colleagues. Um, and um, so what can you say about the current situation regarding hostages. You got the sense that these hostages are being forced to move around or are being moved around? Well, first, I, I want to say that we are, of course, thinking about them constantly. We're deeply, deeply distressed about their situation. And the, the fastest way for them to come home would be for Hamas to release them immediately and and every opportunity that I have, I, I'm calling for more pressure to be put on Hamas at all levels by all kinds of stakeholders globally to release them. As you mentioned, uh, you know, there were two hostages who uh, who were buried today, uh, a young 19-year-old uh, Sergeant Noah uh, in the military and a 65-year-old woman, uh, Yehudit Weiss, who was living in the Be'eri kibbutz. Uh, so it's it's tragic, and we're we're very concerned uh, about their well being, and and we understand that Hamas is a terror organization that dragged them across the border, took them from their home, uh, and you know I I don't want to I don't want to imagine what they possibly are doing to them now in Gaza, uh, but we are going to do whatever we have to 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 get them home and to bring them home as fast as we can. What about the movement of people, wherever they are, from the north to the south? Um, you know, there are people complaining that that, and maybe legitimately so, because of, you know, the, the, the conditions there and because of the war climate, that um, that's not safe either. So I've been hearing that the IDF dropped some leaflets to inform people and to warn people. 
What can you say about those leaflets, and and are you directing people to take certain actions when they do leave the North? Yeah, we now for several weeks have been instructing the civilian population in the northern part of the Gaza Strip to move to the south as an area that we have deemed as, as being safer. And we've done this in several ways. Uh, one is we dropped more than a million and a half flyers to civilians in the northern part of the Strip, instructing them to move. We've made more and sent more than uh, 5 million phone calls and text messages instructing people to move. We've made 20,000 personal phone calls to civilians telling them to move. Um, and we've seen we've seen people move. At this stage, more than 900,000 have evacuated, and we are still encouraging people to, to evacuate, and they still are doing that uh, during evacuation uh, sort of windows through corridors that we are protecting. And it's very important. It's very important that they follow these instructions. Um, and you know, we're doing this one uh, because of the legal obligation that we have to uh, to civilians. Uh, and because we don't we don't want to harm them. The goal here is not to target civilians in the strip. The goal is to target Hamas and to try and minimize the impact uh, on civilians as much as possible in in wartime. The humanitarian pauses you spoke of, um, how are they going? Are they still happening every day? And um, can you say anything about where and how and the process and all that? Yeah, they're still happening. And we publish the specifics around the the, the hours on a daily basis. Uh, the goal here is to communicate that information far and wide to the civilian population so that they they know about these windows that are taking place and we still see civilians moving, and that is exactly what we want. We want them to move away from the areas of danger uh, and to move to the south, which is safer at this point. So those those windows are absolutely taking place, and you know, we'll continue to facilitate the movement of civilians as, as much as we can, and uh, you know, we hope that they they follow that advice and that they continue to to listen to those instructions and to to move to the south. Last thing, is there anything you want to add, Major Weiss, that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? I'm, I'm appreciative that you mentioned uh, the hostages. I, I just want to remind everybody who's listening uh, of the hostages who are currently being held right now, uh, who range in age from a 10-month-old baby uh, named Kfir Bibas, who actually celebrated his 10-month birthday uh, in, in captivity by Hamas, Two grandparents in their 70s and their 80s who are being who are being held, and actually today is the birthday of uh, Emily Hand, uh, a little girl who's now celebrating, celebrating I say in in, you know, in quotations, but who's uh, celebrating her ninth birthday uh, in captivity. And you know, these are people who should be returned home immediately. Uh, and I, I think we can all join in calling for their immediate release and for attention not to be uh, forgotten and for us not to forget who they are and their stories and how much they're missed by their loved ones. And, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to get them back. But I, I think remembering them is is so important to, as the days pass. Major Weiss, thank you so much for taking time to do this. And thank you for throwing those numbers in there. That's really important. The leaflets, the phone calls, the text messages, the data points. I think those things help people get a better understanding of things as opposed to just the broad brush. Thank you for taking time to do that detail. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. And then this is the conversation I had with Ann Kramer and Sean Anderson, news anchors at WTOP. 
We talked on the 28th of November about the extended truce, the hostage negotiations, and much more about what's happening in Israel and Gaza. Well, we are seeing pictures, we are seeing video, we are seeing the reuniting of parents with their children, loved ones with their mothers, sisters, as they've been released from Hamas, the hostages. Uh, those stories resonate, obviously, with people. Are they going to have any kind of impact when it comes to strategic developments in the war? Does it give Hamas any kind of uh, any kind of ability to do anything differently? What What is the takeaway from looking at those besides just the obvious of, of how wonderful it is to see them reunited? Well, first of all, Hamas is not going to be able to use any of this to their advantage because they killed 1,200 people. These people were hostages. They were the survivors of those people that they decided to attack and round up that day. Anything that these folks say is probably going to be a further indictment of what Hamas did, what it chose to do that day. But the most important thing, just listening to the stories of these people, it was some pretty dark times for them. They were low on food, um, at, at one point, a couple of them said that near the end of this thing, they only had bread to eat, like some little pieces of pita, maybe some rice to eat. One woman who's a hostage said that she heard on the radio, they were allowed to listen to Israeli radio, that her son had died. And, you know, so this is none of this is going to be a benefit to Hamas in any way. Conversely, you know the psychological state of folks who've been hostages, and, and, and it's tough. But conversely, can Israel learn something from their experiences about Hamas? Since it started, they've learned a lot. And in part, what they've learned is that Hamas did not just go into this saying, oh, hey, let's just do this and see what happens. They planned this thing over years. They were training openly for years the kind of technology that they have. I don't think Israel knew that they had access to it, the skill to use it, and to know that this kind of result, if they did get their hands on it, would befall Israel, because Israel has always had a leg up on everyone in the region when it comes to technology. So they've learned a ton about Hamas's capability and their ability to work with others, even working with Hezbollah, which is their enemy. So they've learned a lot about what's facing Israel moving forward. These truces that we keep having, and I don't want to date this, but the truces that we that, that are happening in the war so more hostages can be released, does that set the tone for anything positive when it comes to a ceasefire? I know what Netanyahu said in the beginning before the first four-day one happened was, we're still at war. There are a lot of people that are working on these ceasefires, people that we don't see, people that we haven't heard about or heard from. There are a lot of people working on these ceasefires because the truth of the matter is nobody is going to win. The longer this goes on, the more people are going to die in, in, in Gaza, possibly in Israel and other places. The longer this fighting, this war goes on, the more people are going to die. And the, the higher the tension level in the region is going to go, the more people that are going to get involved in other places well beyond there. So there is a tremendous amount of, 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 of everything at stake. In this, in this conflict. That's why you have so many people getting involved. Well, one of those people we learned today is CIA Director William Burns. Uh, he's an experienced diplomat, but now on the intelligence side of things. 
Why is he getting involved in these negotiations? Does that indicate maybe they are getting a lot more serious? I think so. I asked the CIA that question um, earlier. He's in the region uh, for meetings um, regarding the Israel-Hamas conflict, including discussions about the hostages. But as you mentioned, anyone who knows anything about Bill Burns knows that he's a career statesman, a career diplomat. He carries a tremendous amount of credibility with him, and people know, they believe, they trust him. And when you look at his work in in, in that region when he was ambassador of Jordan, he has some ex- extraordinary experience in a lot of different scenarios just like this. So he's one of those people you need at the table. He's the voice of reason, but at the same time, he's a very smart guy who knows how these things go. And if you don't do the right things at these tables, they can go really badly afterwards. So I think that's one of the reasons why he's there. And it elevates the discussion on heading towards some kind of arrangement, possibly, and an end to what's going on? So based on some conversations I've had with some Israelis and with some Americans and other people involved in these discussions, that's exactly what's happening. Hamas is looking for a way out. Four of their senior leaders in Gaza were essentially assassinated by the Israelis uh, within the last few weeks. They know, and Israel has made it clear, this conflict, this ground operation is not going to end soon. And and so what what really is important to, to, to Hamas right now is finding a way out of this and getting some kind of way in which they can, one, say, face, which is not very likely considering what's coming. But the Israelis know as well, too, that they have a whole lot of pressure on them because of so many people dying in this thing to stop this ground incursion, and it's only going to get worse. So, you know, even after all of the hostages are out, it's still going to continue because Israel has said, we are not going to stop until Hamas doesn't exist anymore because Hamas was created for no other purpose than to kill Israelis and to end the state of Israel. That's some analysis with my colleagues, Sean Anderson and Ann Kramer here at WTOP about the situation in Israel and Gaza. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. The risk here is and the, the Israeli government signals um, that they understand that risk. The risk of a hostage prisoner exchange between Israel and Hamas. You're going from 13 hostages per day to 10 hostages per day to five hostages per day to one hostage per day and essentially get drawn into a months-long, never-ending hostage negotiation process because of a couple of issues. Dr. Hans-Jacob Schinder, Senior Director at the Counter-Extremism Project, explains. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.
the National Security Podcast.